do, do. I'm like, oh. I start singing, take the shackles off my feet so I can dance. Take the shackles. I'm singing that. <laughs> right, right, right. And I said, that's dope. Like, don't forget it. Don't forget it. I finished the shower. <laughs> I still got the towel on. I run in there. I'm like, stop. I stopped the music. I'm like, this is it. Take the shackles off my feet so I. They were like, and that, that was, was like, this is it. I'm Jeremy Dixon, and you're listening to The Misfit Manifesto. visionary, executive and leading producer of R&B, gospel, and hip-hop music. Campbell's mastery to create chart-topping hits across a multitude of genres has made him one of the most prolific record producers of our time. On today's episode, I will talk with Warren about his transition from gospel to R&B, pioneering music in the early 2000s, and get his opinion, his insight and perspective on where music is headed. This is Warren Campbell. Let's welcome him to the space. Come on, producers and everybody. Man. Let's make him feel welcome. Jeremy Dixon, an Apollo legend. Come on now. <laughs> I'll take it. Whatever accolades I can get, man. Dude, how you doing? Man, I'm good, man. Living the dream, man. I got a big coat on, so I'm, I'm good. It's freezing here. <laughs> got a big coat. <laughs> we like to keep it cool, baby. You understand what I'm saying? Keep it cool. It's, it's keep, it cool. keep it cool. Keep it cool. Warren, you, um, first of all, you're, you're a local legend, but you've done work literally clear across the, the globe yeah i mean you yeah. you've been everywhere from touring playing producing i mean yeah. like of the places you've been where where what's your favorite i'm gonna have to say only because i have not been it's crazy have not been to africa yet wait time out you never been there at never all never been i was supposed to go spend uh, a month in africa right before the pandemic got you i was doing a deal there okay. uh, with universal and it got cut but before, so I'm, I'm guessing that's gonna be one of my favorite places when I get there. Yeah. But right now, mm -hmm. it's two places. One is London. I love working in London. Okay. My favorite studios in the world are in London. Okay. But there's a little space called G Jam Studios down in Jamaica. Really? In the hills of Port Antonio. <laughs> you said a little something on that when you said yeah. that word, brother. Yeah, maybe you want to speak patois. <laughs> <laughs> okay. What is it about? What is it about this spot? First of all. You you go in there, the gates open, and it's up in the bush. You you, you go into uh, the airport and you drive two hours up a mountain. No traffic lights, no street signs, just dirt roads. And you go into this big gate, this big huge house sitting there, and there's villas in the bush. Go down into the bush, there's a gym there. Go further down into the bush, there's a big studio. The studio has a deck on top of it. You go up to the deck, it's just water. Wow. And you can hear the music that you were, that you made in the studio mm -hmm. up on the deck. And yeah, That's it's, crazy. It's, uh, it's, and they, they're cooking food all day. They cook porters, maids, everything's there. Get out of here. Yeah. Now, anybody of note that's that's cut records there? Plenty of people. I, uh -huh. I My first time going there was in uh, probably like 99, 2000. Okay. With uh, Drew Hill. Get we out did of here. We did a whole album there. Really? Spent like month or two there yeah, it was crazy drew hill mm -hmm. hit songs you yeah. wrote it you wrote you were part of like one of their biggest hits was it the how deep is your love how, rush hour rush, the rush hour soundtrack that was my first number one song that Get was 1998 that was the first thing ever one of the first things i ever did how old were you 22 22 20, yeah, 22 23 something like that so how, how does that song come into being like so, what's the scenario 
my manager at the time started managing them too. Okay. And he managed one other producer. Shout out to my man, uh, Rick Kuzan, Big Dutch, what we call him. <laughs> okay. Uh, Dutch uh, did We Be Clubbing and all that stuff for Ice Cube. Everybody love. Well, I should know. Go ahead. You, yeah. your, your turn. Not my turn. <laughs> Go ahead. <laughs> so we, he, he said, Look, I'm going to get you guys in with Drew Hill. Uh-huh. I was like, oh, what? Okay. So we got together, started working, and they said, you know, we're going to had this opportunity to go to uh, uh, to do the Rush Hour soundtrack. I said, okay. So we did the song. Now, on the original song, it has Red Man on the song. Mm-hmm. When they shot the video, they shot the video in Hong Kong. And Red Man, for whatever reason, we don't know, could not leave the country. Okay. To do so, yeah. <laughs> there's no bridge in the song. So they need to fly me, because they left me at home. Everybody went over to... Hong Kong mm-hmm. to shoot the video with Jackie Chan and Brett Radner, who, who, mm-hmm. who directed the film, yep. did the video. Got it. So they called me and says, we need you to come to Hong Kong. I said, Hong Kong? I said, yeah. You, there's no bridge. We got to create a bridge because the there's no rap in the song, so you have to do some musical changes. So I get over to Hong Kong, man. It was just the most amazing thing I've ever seen in my life. And they shot the video. It was really, really hot. Uh, the tallest building in Hong Kong on top of some crazy building, Jackie Chan. We met him. Brett Ratner's it was a crazy experience and to see it come out and within weeks be number one. Yeah. So crazy. what what is that like? I mean, you figure this is this is your first hit. You had written before, I assume. I'd wrote some stuff before, but nothing hit like this. So what so what's what's that moment? What's the what's the feeling? At the time, um, I'm being coached okay. and raised in the music business by a guy named John Platt, who is my publisher. Okay. And this guy uh, really, now he's the chairman and CEO of Sony Music Publishing. But then he was the creative director of EMI Music Publishing. Mm -hmm. He literally would coach me and and talk to me every day. He he, he had this thing with me about celebrating. Did not allow it. Really? If I came in talking about this, How Deep Is Your Love record, one number one, if I hear that record, if I hear you say that, How Deep Is Your Love, one more time, I don't want to hear about that. Nobody cares what you did. They only care about what you do next. Um, Go make another one. Can you do it again? Can you do it again? That's that was the thing. Wow. And I'm kind of like that with all my artists. Yeah. Can you, I don't care about do it again. Yeah. Cause can you if you do it again and again and again now you got something. Yeah. This one record ain't gonna change your life. Yeah. Ten of them will. <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> Speaking of that, so I I was trying to do the math. You got. 30 nominations and like how many how many Grammy nominations do you have? Uh, I don't know. Where'd, you, where'd I, that number come from? I feel like I might. How many Grammys have you won? Do you even know? Or did no. John beat it in your head not to remember how many Grammys <laughs> you won? <laughs> I know I, I'm missing one because it hadn't came yet. The la- I just won last year okay. for um, Best Rap Song, Kanye featuring Jay Z. There's a Erica's solo album. I won for that. And there's three other statues for Mary Mary Records. And then there's all the Grammy plaques that they give you for being on projects that win. Got it. So, so those including are all of those, I mean. It's like, a, it's like 13. That, that's incredible. And we're nominated this year, too. Really? For what? Uh, Erica Campbell, positive. Shout out. Single positive, yeah. That's super dope. It's amazing. God is good, man. Absolutely. Now, how did, and I want, I'm going to circle back because I'm going to talk about I'm talk about Mary Mary. We're gonna talk about Shackles, okay. but a little bit later. Okay. But for now, so you get so Drew Hill is the first hit you have mm-hmm. 
But that's not the first group you started working with. You started with DJ Quick. So, yeah, uh, in 11th or 12th grade, um, a friend of mine who I grew up with, his name was DJ Rogers Jr., he knew everybody. Okay. So this is my this is my senior year, and I'm going to grad night. I get a call from DJ. Mm-hmm. He says, yo, I got this song that um, I want to work on, but can you come to the studio? I said, but I'm going to grad night. He said, man, you got to come to the studio. I go to the studio, and he's working with some group, whatever. He gets in a fight that night <laughs> with one of the guys in the group. And at we, the studio. At the studio. We leave. He comes to my house, and we work on the song at my house. He wakes up the next morning and says, yo, I want to get DJ Quick to do, put the drums on the song. I said, D- what do you mean DJ Quick? Yeah, that's like my brother. Man, you lying. You don't know DJ Quick. He was like, I do. He calls him. He said, yeah, man, y'all come out to the house in Rialto. We drive out there to the house, and DJ Quick is just, we're at DJ Quick's house. <laughs> I'm, bl- I'm like, what in the world is happening right now? So we, we showed him a song. I played. He says, oh, man, you can play. Like, he loves my playing mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and invites me to come and work with him on his third album, Safe and Sound, mm-hmm. which is one of the coldest albums yeah. ever, yep. right? Yep. And so we started working, and, and uh, I'm playing on all the songs and in the room with him while he's I'm watching him because he has a device I've never seen before. It's a drum mm-hmm. machine mm-hmm. called an MPC, a Kai MPC 62, Right. That's one of the earlier models, right? Yeah, it's the second it's the second iteration of that machine. Yeah. So, this is during a time where, you know, entourages. Yeah, yep. So, there's a bunch of people there. As long as he's playing that music loud in the mm-hmm. studio, everybody's mm-hmm. dancing, they're drinking beer, having fun. Mm-hmm. He would break it down and put it on the small speakers and listen low, because now he's digging in the crates, going through records, trying to find sounds. Everybody would leave, except me. Hmm. I'd, I'd be in the corner watching him. He wouldn't even know I was there. I'm just watching, like, what is he doing on that machine? What is that? And then he would go to the bathroom or go out and something. I'd mm-hmm. go out and press the machine. I'd go, oh, man, what is this? So I, I, I saw what it was. I wrote it down. So was he loading in sounds from? He was, he was sampling records, God vinyl records. It. He had a turntable and the drum machine and another drum machine called a, 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 a Emu SP-1200. It's, a, like, it's like the hip-hop yeah, staple, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So he's doing all, I'm like, what is going on? What is this? I've never seen this before, right? Mm-hmm. So I wrote it down, and I looked and looked and tried to buy one. It was way too expensive. Then I went to the recycler. I remember the recycler. The newspaper. Yep. Faithful. Found one for $800. I so said, I'm going to buy it. So I go buy the, buy the joint. I go to Quick. I say, Quick, I went and bought a drum machine like you got. He was like, what? He frowned his face up. And I said, oh, man. I'm like, did I mess up? And he said, hold on. He walked away. I'm, I'm sitting there going, man, I don't know what the heck is happening. He comes back with a briefcase. It's like an Anvil briefcase. Mm-hmm. Opens it up, and there's all these floppy disks in it with all his sounds, all his songs from all his albums. Hands it to him. He says, take this home. Copy everything and bring it back. I'm going to show you how to work it. First of all, I don't think any of our listeners under the age of 40 knows what a floppy disk is. Let's just start there. Yeah. I can't even and I can, can't can explain, explain it. What it I, it, it's okay, it would be okay. It would be today a, a, a thumb drive. Got it. All right? All right. Yep. That makes sense. Okay. So, so he's got all so all of his stuff. Like this is DJ Quick. DJ so Quick. So all of his stuff, his, he his literally sound. puts it sounds that in he your dug hand. through the crates through and he and sampled created. himself. Gave them to me. 
to go through all the stuff. I mean, I didn't copy everything. I just sure. went through and like yeah, and yeah. stuff that I, you know, and I, my first music, the first Mary Mary album, those are all, when you hear Shackles, listen to Shackles and then go compare to DJ Quick's song Dollars and Cents on that Safe and Sound album. Really? It's the same drum loop. Dude, that's Same drum loop on uh, Let's Get Down by Tony, Dude, Tony, Tony. That cold-blooded. You know, right. and I've been using that loop a lot. It's it's just like my one of my staples. So here's a question: Do you feel like that was just him, or he saw something specific in you that made him want to invest in you? One of the things was, I think I was one of the only guys interested. Because hmm. like I said, everybody else when they, it was party time, they yeah. out. They ain't, yeah. They're not interested in that. Yeah. And I'm like there with him, and he he knows. You know, I can play. He's yeah. just, he's, I'm 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 absorbing it. Yeah. And I think you know that's who he is anyway. Got it. But I think he saw something in me because anytime I was with him, like if he walks in the room right now, I mean, as we're speaking, if he walks in this room, he's going to start teaching us. Hmm. It was like, that camera, you know what What you should do is this and that. Mm. He'll be like, you know what, let's EQ this room. And he's just, really? he's a genius. This guy can. He's underrated, man. Very underrated. People give Dre the, and Dre should get and the Dre's credit. Dre's dope. Dre's dope, yeah. He's the man. But. DJ Quick is right there. He's right there. Oh, yeah. my God. Yeah, and it, right felt, it feels like, if I'm thinking back, um, Quick, and I could be wrong because I'm not in you guys' industry, but he he felt more melodic or he felt more musical than yes. other. Like, yes. you felt like you were hearing just a hip-hop artist, but he was bringing you music. Real music. Real and, music. And the difference is, in hip-hop, it's about clips, little yep. clips. Mm -hmm. So some guys would take a four-bar clip and loop it yep. and rap over it. Yep. Quick was like, no, 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 no. I want you to play this part all the way down the song, eight minutes, seven minutes, five minutes. That way, somewhere in the middle, you'll have different changes. Mm -hmm. It'll feel different here. It'll feel mm -hmm. different there. And we played all that stuff down, like old school, like it was. And there were no computers in the in the studio back then. Right. No computers. Right. It was just a, a a tape tape machine going, and we just playing. We all using uh, dat and a dat, and was that was that that was before a dat even. Really? ADAT came a little bit, like, like maybe a few years later after that. But okay, yeah, okay. It, was, it was none of that, man. That's crazy. That's dope. I, and I feel like, you know, it's so funny when you talk about the way you kind of approach the environment with Quick, was there's a lot of curiosity there. Like Tons from you. Tons of curiosity, and that's and that's that's where we thrive. I was about to say, has that been like you what you attribute a lot of your success to? I attribute pretty much 80% of my success, success to being inquisitive yeah. and really curious about everything, like, yeah. you know, and asking a lot. Of, I get on people's nerves. Mm -hmm. but I, I read something, or maybe, maybe I saw an interview or something when I was younger about Michael Jackson mm -hmm. when he was a kid, how he would just ask, drive people crazy, asking questions, questions, questions. And I figured, like, he's Michael Jackson. I'm going to ask questions. Yep. So yeah. even when I find myself in a room with, you know, uh, uh, Quincy Jones, or uh, I remember I did a session with Lionel Richie one time. We were working for three days. I asked more questions than we worked. I don't even think we finished the song because I was like, <laughs> what about this? What about that? What about this? What about that? I asked a lot of questions. So I'm very curious about technology, mm -hmm. about where, what, what, how it works, where it can go. Mm -hmm. uh, did we miss anything? Did we leave anything behind that we that we should have brought with us? You know, yeah. I'm, a curi I'm curious about all these different things, you know, how to make music for, you know, uh, the, the the metaverse, you know, yeah. I, I started making uh, records. I just put out an album in October, last October. Uh, artist named Lena Bird Miles okay. that I that I signed. I created another version of the album for the metaverse. That's that's uh, sped up, 
and pitched down. Sounds like you're underwater. Really? Yeah. And so I said, I'm going to do this for all the artists. Where, how, okay, where does that come? H how did you know to do that? What is the precedent? Where, what's the reference for Curiosity. that? Curiosity. I, I, really? was, I was playing with a program, and I was messing around with this little program that I use, and I put a song through that. I sped it up and said, oh, that sounds pretty cool. And I said, let me speed it up and pitch it down. I said, oh, that's cool. Let's do the whole album like this. And I would drive around with it, and I'd send it to her, and she was like, this is jamming. Because she sounds like a man singing now. It's, it's, it's really? pitched down, but it's faster. She's like, man, this stuff is amazing. So I'm like, okay, let's start doing that. And so, you know, just being curious, yeah. trying to figure things out. I mean, I've electrocuted myself plenty of times <laughs> as, a, as a kid. I'm the kid that took the radios apart. Right, right. I take all the cameras apart. I want to see what's in it. You yeah. know, I'm that yeah. guy. Yeah, always. That. <laughs> My dad would come home times. and his bass guitars, all the strings be off because I'm trying to figure out. <laughs> How it works, you know. <laughs> I want to know how it works. So, okay, that brings me to another question. So, your upbringing, your it, music is in your history. Oh yeah. yeah so, yeah. tell tell us about that. Like, where, what's the backstory as far as your first introduction to music? My first introduction to music is 100% church. Okay. My uh, my father and mother met in a little church called King's Chapel on the east side of L.A. Hmm. Uh, King's Chapel Apostolic Church. I was the first baby born in that church because uh, when they started the church, it was a bunch of teenagers there and grown people. And my parents met. My dad came home from New York from, uh, you know, graduating high school. Mm -hmm. His father made him promise to go to this church. He really didn't want to go. But when he got here, all his cousins were hungover and drunk. Nobody wanted to hang out. So he said, I'll just go to this church. Mm -hmm. He went and met my mom. Uh, a few years later, they get married. They have me in the church. The, the bishop's daughter, two daughters. One of the daughters is um, a lead singer of a group called The Honeycomb. Yeah. And the right Perry. Okay. Who's I, my when godmother. you said King's Chapel, I thought about the I thought about uh, Melody. Melody and all of them. Uh, yeah. Joe, all them, the rights. The rights. Right. I was born in that church. Get out of here. I was the first. I'm the, I'm older than all of them. Okay. So they're all like my little brothers and sisters. Like, yeah. you know, I'm I'm they 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 all came like two years later after I was born. Okay, okay, okay. And so Melody's mom is my godmother. Right. Got it. I mean, and so in that church, because her and her older sister was a, they were stars. Mm -hmm. They sang backgrounds yep. with everybody. Had albums out. They were like, yep. you know, and so because of that, everybody came to our church. Hmm. Just visited. Dion Warwick would be there. Elder Barge would be there. I remember you two came to the church one time. You two, but like now Bono, you two. Yeah, Bono showed up to church. <laughs> but our 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 church between their family and my family, mm -hmm. my family was. My dad played bass. My mom was in the choir. My uncle was on the organ. My other cousin was on the drums. A bunch of my cousins were in the choir between the Wright family and our family, which was the, my mom's side of the family, which was the Gray family. Mm -hmm. The music was crazy. Now, the head of that was a guy, my cousin, my oldest cousin. I called him. He's my uncle. I call him uncle, but he's my cousin. Mm -hmm. His name was Michael Gray. Okay. Michael Gray uh, was the voice of the song... Fat Albert, that the, the yeah. intro song, I'm going to sing a song. That's my uncle Michael. He also on the road played the Lion and the Wiz or with Stephanie Stephanie Mills. Yeah. Uh, he 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 he. I guess what do you call that? Um, understudy. Yep. For the main guy mm -hmm. on Broadway, but when the tour when they went on tour, he was the main guy. A uh, bunch of Broadway stuff, um, and he was a crazy singer, choir director. So it was all this music. Yeah. 
it was everywhere. Yeah. And people would come to uh, our church, our little church. I mean, that church of a storefront. Only, yeah, yeah, yeah. Not, 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 not a storefront. It was a house converted into a church. A little tiny two-bedroom house converted into a church. Right. On the corner. Yeah. And they would come, and that church would be rocking. Man, it was crazy. I got videotape from 1984. I'm like, man, they, it's Killing Oregon. Me. They got synthesizers. My dad on the bass. It was crazy. It that's was crazy. nuts. And, uh, you know, and that's that's where it starts. Yeah. Right right there. Yeah. Right, and, you know. Now, were you were you playing there? I started playing the drums at four years old. Okay. So they would let me play. You know, afternoon service, I would play for what they call devotional or testimony service, right? <laughs> or they let me play for offering. Right, right, right. Now, in the storefront church or the smaller churches, the, the, the loudest thing in the church is the organ. Yeah. And so they would put me on the piano. Nobody can hear the piano because mm. it wasn't mic mm-hmm, back then. Nothing. Mm-hmm, so you can mm-hmm. play the piano all you want. Mm-hmm. Nobody going to hear that. Mm-hmm. So they let me just bang on it until I'm like nine, and I start really playing. I said, oh, I can really. Mm-hmm. Then I start playing. By the time I was 12, I was on the organ. And that's where it started because, like, you couldn't, you just couldn't play. You couldn't be bad. You couldn't yeah. be terrible. You had to be able to yeah. really play. You got to be good. Or you're going to yeah. get sat down. You're yeah. going to get embarrassed. You know, my uncle, my cousins, everybody played. All my family sang and played. So it was like, you better you better come with it. You ain't going to embarrass us. So then when is your dad, he becomes a pastor at a certain point. My dad became a pastor later. So he left that church mm-hmm. and became an assistant pastor this is the first time you don't know this. You don't probably don't remember this at all. The first time I've seen you, okay, because Bishop Reed and my pastor at the time were really good friends. Who's that? Who's your pastor? His name was Elder George Marcelli. Okay, a little church called Greater Mount Calvary on 111th and Western, right on okay. the corner. So we were having an anniversary, and my dad is the assistant pastor there, and your dad at the time I think is the assistant pastor. Yeah, yeah. Uh, at mm-hmm. First Church. Yep. They show up. Bishop Reed, your dad, and the, y'all bought a crowd with you, mm-hmm. and y'all were early. And my dad is the one who opens the church, and he was late. We pull up, and they're all outside. Bishop Reed is outside the door. My dad is so embarrassed. He's like, oh, my God, I'm so embarrassed. So we go and open the door, and, man, they have some crazy church. And I remember seeing you and Jordan. You was little. I was, yeah. Wait, so so I, this might not be the same church, but I remember hearing a story that— Bishop Reed, we went, and for those of you listening, this was my former pastor. The church, I, I pastored church. Uh, this is the guy that pastored before my father pastored. We went to a church. The pastor came late, and so Bishop Reed started the service without them. No, and no, they, that wasn't this church. That wasn't this church. Cause, okay, because okay. they weren't, they couldn't get in. Oh, okay, okay. They okay, were standing okay. outside. My dad just had waiting. the key. They was waiting. It and was just embarrassing. <laughs> That's great. But he went in there. We're very timely people. Oh man. <laughs> I was like, yo, this is crazy. And but I remember I remember that. I remember seeing all you guys. Yeah. I remember Bishop Reed preaching crazy for like only 10 minutes. Yeah, he, he ran house down. In, in 10 minutes yeah. it was done. I was yep. like. And he starts at 10 too. He don't like rev up. No, he it, starts at he 10. He starts right yeah. there. And just, so that that church mm-hmm. was my dad's, you know, he was there and then he left there and started his church in 88. Got it. And that's when I all the music stuff was on me. I had I was the 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 sound engineer. I had we were a mobile church, so I had to, mm-hmm. I had to bring the equipment in. I, was, mm-hmm. I had a pickup truck. Mm-hmm. I was sixteen. I had to, you know, put everything together, set everything up, and break it back down again. You know, I would take the drummer to his house, get his stuff. You know, it was all this, and I was in, I was in charge of everything. I, I kind of feel like 
that level of responsibility maybe plays into your producing because you have to organize like this this big idea this musical idea yeah. with a lot of competing complex parts yeah it's interesting so when you so when you get out of let's say just playing in church and you get into doing the R&B the hip hop that whole thing what was that transition like? Was everyone comfortable? Like your family, were they mm. comfortable with that? Was there some little hesitation? Like how, what was that evolution like? So being that my father was a musician before he was a pastor. Got it. Who necessarily, he didn't necessarily uh, get to gig and get into it because it was just, he was so engrossed in church and, you know, he worked, had to raise us, so he didn't really get to do it. I think he looked at it differently. Yeah. And because of the church that I came from, see, right. they were all doing R&B yeah, records. Yeah. See what I'm saying? Yeah. So I remember I met Mario Winans when I was, I don't, I don't even think he remembers this. I might have been 15, 14, 15. He was out here playing drums for his mom. They mm -hmm. came out here and did something. That I, or Yeah, he, she was saying he was playing drums, and I was like, this dude is amazing. And uh, I met him then, and he came back for some. I met him again somewhere else, and by that time he had done this record that I love uh, on the group, this gospel group. I can't remember the name, but he produced it. Mm -hmm. But he was like talking about he doesn't do secular music. I ain't doing no secular music. I, da, 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 I'm just saved this gospel. I was like, yeah, me too. <laughs> yeah, Mario. Yeah, man, I'm with you. You know. <laughs> Wait, did he end up doing secular music? Absolutely, <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> but I go home right. trying to impress my dad. I said, Dad, you know what? I ain't never doing no secular music. I said. So how old are you at the time? 15. You are you 15? Okay. My dad said, son, sit down. Let me talk to you. He says, listen, you don't do construction like me. Mm -hmm. You don't type. You don't take dictation. You don't work at this. You don't work at that. Mm -hmm. Your job is music. It's your occupation. And I, I know the music you like. I listen. I, I, I hear what you're listening to. <laughs> I don't like all that cursing because mm -hmm. I was at the time. NWA, they owned it, man. I was all about, it was a couple of things. People think, you know, my influences are certain things, but it's really a couple of things. It was the commission okay, and the whinings and, 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 and NWA. It's the it, only three things I loved. The distance between those yes. are so vast. I wasn't even into R&B music. Like, I hated anything. Luther Vandross, I didn't know what that was. Freddie Jackson and Oprah, all these guys. I didn't <laughs> right. know. I'm like, they can't seem like Marvin Whinings. Yeah, that well, that's Our true. Commission. That's true. But these beats that I'm hearing, or yeah. Dr. Dre do, I was like, yeah, Psh. yeah. it's nothing like that. Yeah. So my sound is just kind of like a synthesis between those two things. That's interesting. Do Do you think people listening to you pick that up? That it's a mixture of the Winans Commission and N.W. and Dr. Dre, I guess. If you go back and just listen to like a song like. Um, Shanice had a song called When I Close My Eyes, right? Love that song. If you listen to the drums. Dude, that song's dope. Oh, thank you, man. But you the, the chords is like very churchy. Yeah. But the beat, yeah. the kick has a, now I'm just, you know, I'm getting, I'm, I'm geeking out now. Good. Please, please. So if you listen to old NWA records, there's always this round sound and kick like a thump. Doo, 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 doo. Mm -hmm. They used the 808 drum machine. The 808 drum machine had a, a clave sound like mm -hmm. the, the percussion instrument the whistle mm -hmm. tick, tick, tick. Yep, yep. he would put that on the kick drum so to give the kick a knock like a tick tick like yeah, a hard yeah, sound yeah. if you listen to when i close my eyes i employ that same method that dr dre used on nwa stuff got it and the the the, the 808 symbol that's mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. the claps and stuff like mm -hmm. that it's the same i'm using those sounds under all this pretty stuff
So it'll be like this pretty stuff on top, but it'll be like, if you just take away the pretty stuff and listen to the drums, you'll be like. It's just hardcore. Just yes. Always. Yeah. That's, that's dope. So it was just funny about so hip hop and someone actually had to teach me this because I was like this and I'm talking about this is like 15 years ago I'm like why is it that hip hop artists are always using somebody else's stuff and they were like that's what hip hop is yeah that, like, like like that's the bedrock of what hip hop is that is the that's the artistry of hip hop right, it's right. about taking anything that somebody else did taking you know it's like what uh, people who tailors. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? They don't create the fabric. Right. They take yeah. pieces of fabric yeah. and weave them together and make something. Yep. That's hip hop. Yeah. You know. Uh, but back to my 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 dad and doing secular. Yeah. So he's like, you don't do this, you don't do that. This is your job. This is your occupation. Mm-hmm. He says, so you go and do the music you love. He says, but you have to know that there is a standard. Yeah. You cannot let your occupation run all over your salvation. Come on, preacher. And that was like, and that's all you needed. My dad sent me out yeah. there, so it wasn't really like nobody had what they gonna say. Yeah, yeah. People had stuff to say, but they couldn't say that. You can't say it to me. Right, right. So I, I had the license, so I yeah. went out there. You know, I didn't always make the mark. You know sure, what I'm saying? Because sure. I was doing all kind of stuff. You know, especially, I don't think he wanted to send me off to work with Death Row. <laughs> 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 but yeah, it was uh, it was the time of my life at Death Row. Though I was really, I, I will never forget that experience. It was. Man, nothing like it. Even I mean, I've done a bunch of stuff, but nothing. I can't even say that working with Kanye. I mean, which is an amazing thing. It still wasn't the same. It's, what was it about Death Row? It's the fact that one, this polarizing figure, Shug, Shug Knight, yeah, and the guys around him, the Dre, the Snoop, mm-hmm. Pac, Daz, mm-hmm. they, they were like super friends. Like right, they were like. Yeah. And all the crazy music that was happening, it was just real music. And then we would do a record on Friday. Monday, it would be in heavy rotation all over the world. It would be crazy. It would be just, I, I didn't understand how that was happening. Like, yeah. how did they do that? Yeah. Later on, I found that, you know, Suge Knight, he would walk songs to radio in himself. He wouldn't send his radio guys. He would go walk up to the radio station, and he's just this menacing guy. Yeah. Suge at the time had to like duck to come in the door and come in sideways because he was too wide to walk in straight. That's how big he was. But the nicest catch you ever want to meet. He I was keep hearing that. Really cool. Like unless you crossed him, sure. Then there was a, that was that. Sure. But like if yeah, y'all square biz. Yep. Up and up. And he'd give you the shirt off, shirt off his back. So wait a minute. This this is during the time when the the West Coast, East Coast beef is happening. Right before. This is right when you're there. Yeah, right, yeah. Are right. you gone before the, the beef no, no, kicks no, no. off? I'm, I'm there when it's happening, but I was there before it happened. Oh, you were there before it happened? Yeah. So you living through all of that. Oh, yeah, it was crazy. It, that, it, was, it was crazy. That had to be nuts. No, nah, it, it, was, it was one of those things because we were, I remember when Pac got out of jail and came to death row. So we were doing. But wait, was he signed to death row? Or, or you mean he was coming to, to be a part of death row? To be a part of death row. So what? Got it. Pac was signed to Interscope Records. Right. Uh, when he did all the keep your head up and all that stuff, mm-hmm. he goes to jail. Death Row's uh, distribu- uh, d- the distributor is in Interscope Records. Mm-hmm. So essentially, if they get pot, Interscope still has them. So mm-hmm. you know it doesn't matter to them, right? Mm-hmm. Should goes and pays the million dollar bill to so get, get, get Pac out. Signs him to Death Row. We're in the studio. It's probably two in the morning. And at the time, Suge had a stack of 
vinyl albums mm-hmm. and asked us to recreate everything because he was tired because you know the chronic um legendary had, yeah the chronic was legendary but it also was this i mean just plagued by lawsuits because all the samples didn't get cleared <laughs> 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 whose job is that dude? <laughs> i don't know whose job it was then but you know dre sampled everything but they didn't clear him so they i mean this thing so is they, making millions so yeah, everybody's yeah. suing them so he got to Shit, got to pay all these lawsuits. I mean, you know, so he's like, you know what? Can y'all just remake all these? Because I'm tired of, like, paying mm-hmm, the sample mm-hmm, stuff. Mm-hmm. So we're like, so we're re- I'm like, I can make it sound just like this. I can make it sound. He's like, man, do it. So at that time, we were remaking Love and Happiness, Al Green. Yeah. I'm in the in the control room on a Fender Rose keyboard playing. In the, in, in the live room is Kenny Crouch on organ. My man Derek uh, Walker. We call him D-Loke. Oh yeah, I remember him. Drummer and yeah. Corny Cornelius Mims. Cornelius on bass. Mims. We're we're rocking. Love like the happy. Avengers, man. Like the yeah, dopest was, musicians in L.A. or in, was, in the country. It was crazy. It was crazy. Uh, rest in peace, uh, Daryl Crooks was on the, on the yeah. guitar. Yeah. And so we're playing, and then, like, right here, mm-hmm. the door opens. Pac walks in. <laughs> Everything stops. We're like. When you just yeah, in <laughs> I'm home. I'm home. I'm signed to death row. I want all y'all to come back tomorrow. And we're going to start my album. I was like, what in the world? So we came back the next day. Now, he had a, a white, like a, a, not a hoodie, like a sweatshirt. Mm-hmm. It was too big. Mm-hmm. Hair all over his head. Like, like kind of beard. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Like, like, he looked like he just got out of jail. Which he did. <laughs> so... I think they did the bell thing, put him on a plane, came straight to L.A., and that happened, right? The next day, I show up there. I'm walking in. I see a black drop-top Rolls Royce pull up, and it's loud music playing. It's Pac. And now he's, I mean, he's got a death row chain on, head shaved, Rolex watch, and a, and a like the Tupac Yeah, that kit. we see, yep. I'm like, yo. I like, what's up, man? We, 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 can, we about to go. Let's go, let's go. We go in the studio and we commence to do three songs every day for the next till he died. What? Everywhere he went, he did three songs. He recorded three songs pretty much every day, every day that I was with him. And so the first album was All Eyes on Me. You don't see my mm-hmm. name on anything. Wait, wait, why is that? So at the time, go back to um, my publishing deal with Big John. Big John, yep. At the time, Big John and I had just had a meeting. Okay. And he said he wanted to sign me. Okay. Cut to two weeks later, Suge says he wants to sign me and give me a publishing deal. Now, what happened is uh, Big John wants to sign me and give me $60,000. I'm 20, 19, 20 at the time. No, I'm 19. I'm 19. Mm-hmm. Like, <laughs> We're going to give you 30 grand up front. This is 1994. I'm gonna give you thirty thousand up front, and we're gonna give you twenty five hundred a month to you know, for the rest. Yeah, for the balance. I'm like, whoa, okay. Now, a couple weeks later, Shook says, "I want to sign your publishing." Da da da. I was like, I already got a publishing deal. I ain't even signed a deal yet. So <laughs> Shook wanted to sign my publishing and give me ten thousand dollars, which you know that that wasn't bad actually. Okay, but what Compared Big John to- had offered you. 
just because Big John worked at EMI, this huge company, yeah, they had a bigger checkbook. Yeah, 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 yeah. So I said, I already got a publishing deal. He says, well, you know, you can still come up here and play on the records and stuff, but I can't put your name on nothing because I gotta have published on it all. Everybody, I get you know get credit out of here. I was like, so whose name you put on it? Cool. So nobody. We just left you off. Just yeah, left. Just left me off. The, the anything that you that you. Um, if you read the credits on Tupac's album, anything that says Johnny J, mm -hmm. produced by Johnny J, who mm -hmm. was the producer, yeah, uh, he was doing all the beats and stuff like yeah. that. I'm playing on, I'm on playing like that. little parts and stuff on all those songs. Got it. But Johnny was producing. He was making Johnny. He he, he passed away a while ago. He was an amazing producer. This mm -hmm. dude was dope. He, he and, and Pac trusted him a lot. He did 17 songs on that album. Yeah. How many How many songs on the album? 28. It was a two. It was a, it was a double. A double. Double. Yeah. Album. Yeah. Yeah. Good God. So five million. In a month. That's what I'm saying. It was just the, the ride was amazing. <laughs> it was an amazing ride. Uh, but yeah, so I'm not, my name is not on it, but I'm, that's me playing on a lot of that stuff. Even on the stuff that Quick did, he did, he did a song called Hearts of Men. I'm playing on that, but my name's not on it, you know. But I was able to get that publishing deal with Big John. Yeah. And help my parents buy this house that they, that, that they live in right now. So God be praised. That's God be praised. <laughs> so going back just for a minute to... Just like the cornerstone of hip hop being this this whole sample element, like you go back to the origins, they're scratching records, the people are yeah. rapping on top of it. You start looking at guys like Quick and Dre, and now they're actually making beats. Yeah. They're using technology. I mean, they're what was it like? You're a part of that. You're part yeah. of that era yeah. where now you're creating. It's not just scratching a record, now it's yeah. When when that gets introduced, two questions. One, does that feel to the hip hop community like it's inauthentic, hmm. or does it feel like it's the appropriate next iteration? And the next question is, what was the inspiration for now trying to like you utilizing this this new tech relative yeah. to music? So, um, I guess we got to go back a little bit. Yep. You know, start of hip hop, early seventies, Bronx. My father's there. He's in high school there came from the the breaks yeah. of the records yep right yeah so you would have two turntables and find where the where the singing dropped out mm -hmm. and just and just loop it back and forth and mm -hmm. the guy would you know mm -hmm. then and that sounded very like musical like yeah it was like r b but we're rapping on top, yeah. top of it which was cool but it wasn't necessarily hip-hop here comes rick rubin the white guy that goes yeah. to nyu and He's like, no, let's make some hard beats. It was just, if you listen to some of those early, like, you know, I'm the king of rock, that is the mm -hmm. high, stuff mm -hmm. like that, or mm -hmm. LL Cool J, yep. uh, or Beastie Boys, it was just hard drums. Yeah. Yep. It was no, like, music. Yeah. It was yep. just, bang. and so that became, like, the sound, like, because we wanted to get away from the that smooth stuff, yep. right? Then they started sampling records, because we didn't have any samplers. We were sampling little pieces, and then guys would play on top of it. Okay. Right? They would call okay. somebody to play guitar on top of it. Okay. Here then then come later, here comes guys like me yeah. who can play play. Yep. Right? Yep. And so a lot of times they didn't have guys that can really play on on those old early records. They had like guys that can play a little bit, but we coming from church. Yeah. And I'm bringing this yep. real like eh, you big know. sounds, big yeah, chords, chords and I'm, yep. like, I'm you know, yep. they would make fun of me because I, I was I would have a hat on, I'd be like, I throw my hat. <laughs> They would love to see me throw my hat. You know? Right, right. And I would do it all the time because I was just I was like into it, you know. Uh, and putting that feeling on a hip hop record, then it, it went from that to go, like, you know what? 
let's remake the song. Yeah. Instead of sampling it, let's take the bass line and I do the drums over here and we just kind of, you know, do it that way uh, until I, I want to say a lot, a lot of quick, his later stuff, and then you got to give credit to guys like The Roots, mm. guys like... Um, Tribe, who did sample a lot, but a lot of, like, original stuff as well. Are The Roots the f- first band, hip-hop yeah. band? Was anybody before them that, that was doing that full kind of band thing? I think they are the first band in hip-hop. Okay, okay. I believe they are, because I can't think, think of nobody. No. Yeah. And they were playing, you know, like, you know, made-up grooves that they, that they, you know, created. Yep. It wasn't based off of a Rick James song or based off right. of a Jackson song. A lot right. of stuff we were doing was based off of another song. Yeah. Uh, so that idea of just starting from scratch came from guys like The Roots and stuff like that. And then, and then when we started doing the records, when I started producing records, mm-hmm. you know, I started doing something different. I started making my own samples. Hmm. So I said, you know what? If they're sampling these records, and I remember just going back, doing all those records over for, for, for quick, for mm-hmm. me, for a should. I'll just create some stuff. This, this and shout out to Kanye for being, uh, uh, you know, good about just l- being innovative. Yeah. Um, I make a sample in my garage. I'm, I've got drums on it and stuff. Got horn players on it. Play it for Kanye. He's like, "Yo, this is dope." But what I did was, when he hears it, it's a full beat. But yeah. he, you know, I got drums on it and everything that I've I've, I've sampled myself yeah. and made a beat on top of it. Yeah. He's like, this is dope. Who's the sample? I'm like, no, I'm, I made that sample. Oh, <laughs> uh, this is crazy. So it, it, that turns out to be a song called We Major on Kanye's late registration album featuring Nas. Oh, yeah. that's you. That's me, yeah. Yeah. And so then the next album is Graduation. I did the same thing again. I go to my mom's house, mm-hmm. go in the garage, play this piano part, and I get guys in there whistling and clapping, and mm-hmm. I make a sample out of it. That becomes Kanye's song, Homecoming. And it's like, that was a single off the graduation album. Yes. So we started making our own samples. So now I don't really sample anymore. I make my own. What was the inspiration? So, so, so real talk. So this, what you're saying right now is the f- freaking premise of this podcast. Yeah. Is the individuals who step into something that's already in progress and then just create, innovate. Like something that's not been done before. And and my curiosity is always, what's the impetus? Like what is it in your mind that says there's something else? Like what I'm doing is dope, there's something else Mm -hmm. that then begins to lead to like a whole new aspect or even a whole new genre. Like what what puts you in that position to, to do that? Money. Makes sense. <laughs> if it don't make dollars, it don't make sense. Don't make sense. So, because you don't have to now pay anybody or yeah, clear and, anything, and, they, and you're at the mercy, right, of whoever you sampled, right. See what I'm saying. Yeah. So I can sample a so and so record, and it's up to them to say, well, I want a hundred percent. So what happened was, Mary Mary on their first album, we did um, a James Cleveland record because I remember I wanted to, to pay homage to James Cleveland. Sure. And we we remade his song, uh, No Way's Tired. I don't feel no way tired, but we Kill said, it. I just can't give up yep, now. Yep. That song doesn't have verses. They just sing that, I don't feel no way tired, over and over again. He talks a little bit, they sing, they talk, they sing. We created verses, bridge, all that stuff. Mm-hmm. So we're going to the person that wrote it, who I think at the time, James Cleveland, you know, 
uh, they didn't make a lot of money because James was like, I'm taking the publishing, <laughs> right? They wanted 100%. So that as big as that song is, we don't have we don't get the publishing. 100% that guy. I forgot his name now. Even though you pretty much wrote the, you wrote the verses. Wrote the verses. It's, it's, a, wrote the it's a whole different song, really. I mean, it has the same chord progression and melodic pr- progression, yeah. but and, it's a whole different and song. all of it. But we're at their mercy. Right. So I'm like, you know what? And same thing with sampling. I'm like, you know what? I can't do that no more. I'm giving. I'm leaving a lot of money on the yeah, table. Yeah, yeah. If I create this sample, and not only create it, use it yeah. like a sample. Yeah. Then once it's popular, ship it off and say, "Hey, producer friend, producer mm-hmm. friend, you do something to it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You do something to it. Yeah. And turn it into a copy right now. Yeah. Yeah. Then maybe I can get something going. That's good. That makes a whole lot of sense. Yeah. So you you bring up you bring up Mary Mary. I know everybody who's listening knows uh, first of all who Warren Campbell is and knows of course his wife is a is is one half of the incredible uh, group Mary Mary Erica and Tina both named Campbell oddly enough they were yeah yeah they both married Campbells yeah Tina married um, Teddy Teddy and Erica married Jew um, so. Here's so this is my limited. This is just one guy. Um, I feel like when Kirk Franklin did Stomp, which mm-hmm. was like mid late 90s, that was revolutionary. I mean, people were minds were blown because I think it was the deep and he done. I mean, Kirk's been in the game since the, since the 80s, but mm-hmm. he done a lot of stuff. But that seemingly was like a moment, I think, in musical history where you saw something shift. And then Shackles came out mm-hmm. in 2000. And yeah. when I tell you, it lit, <laughs> it lit the world. Yeah. I don't, honestly, God, I can't think of us, and I'm sure there are, well, I'm not a musical historian. I'm sure there are other songs that have done this, but in the last, if that's 2000, the last couple of decades, I don't know a more transformative piece of work um, when it comes to gospel, really in, in any genre. It just, yeah. it just changed the game and opened up yeah. a world where I think the people that we're experiencing now who are dope artists, they have to point back and pay homage to the the seal you all broke. You all broke a seal where that could be played in the club. That could be played, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. That was at that was at backyard barbecues. That yeah, was at yeah, the family yeah. reunion. It wasn't like a church song. Um, what's the inspiration for Shackles? Did you see it as that? What, did you know you had that when y'all did Shackles? <laughs> and do you appreciate what it's done for music? Um, so you mentioned. Kirk song Stomp. Mm-hmm. So I had this thing, um, sort of, um, I would say a pet peeve. Okay. I would watch as every other genre of music would be just kind of forging ahead. I would watch as gospel would always be like seemingly 10 years behind, yeah. 15 years behind. Yeah. So when I when Stomp came out and all the church people was going crazy, like, oh, that's crazy, I was a little upset. Not upset, but I just was kind of like, he he sampled One Nation Under the Groove, which is a yeah. parliament joint, right? Yep, yep. Funkadelic. Dre and those guys did that already in 92. Got you. Like the hip-hop, the West Coast, the mm-hmm. West Coast hip-hop sound was all that. Mm-hmm. It's like we done mm-hmm. with that. Mm-hmm. Like, so mm-hmm. why I... And it was it was a great record. Sure, I'm just but I'm going like, man, why did the church so late? Why we yeah. gotta be always late? I'm like, I was I'm not gonna do, yeah, what happened already. I'm like, 
I'm the guy, and another thing uh, from my coach, Big John, he's like, yo, when everybody go right, you go left. <laughs> right, go left. Right, right. So everybody's, you know, on that bandwagon. I'm like, I, don't, I can't do that. Yep. I got to go somewhere else. At the time, I was listening to a whole lot of Nile Rodgers and Sheik. Oh, it was one of my, they, there was a guy, this guy named Focus, who's okay. a producer now. He's produces with Dre. Okay. His father was in that band, Sheik. His name was Bernard Edwards. He was the bass player. Okay. Some of the coldest grooves you ever want to hear. I would listen to that a lot. And that was a, a very big inspiration to just the, how, how the groove laid. Mm-hmm, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And so what happened was we were writing for uh, an up-and-coming film called The Prince of Egypt. It was animation. So who's we? You and who? Me, Eric, and Tina. Oh, okay, okay. Um, we were set to do a duet with a guy named Ty Trivet, who we didn't know. Ty hadn't <laughs> been out yet. Okay. He didn't even have a record deal yet, but they, the, the guys that were over the soundtrack were trying to sign Ty mm-hmm. and said, you guys should do the song together. And they were trying to sign Mary Mary at the same time. Th- those guys are named Buster and Shivani. <laughs> To him, my, yes. to, Buster was like, you know, my guy. He's like a mentor to me. Like yeah. I looked up to yeah. him big time. He, and, you know, and I was like, okay, we got to write this song. So Mary Mary is a group at this time, at this point? They're not even Mary Mary yet. They're, They're Eric Antinas. They, they, they don't okay. have a name. Uh, from Inglewood, by the way. Shout out to Big Inglewood. I know y'all yeah. don't want to do it. Go ahead. Inglewood, shout out. Eric and Tina. All right. Come on. Up to no good, Inglewood. Inglewood. I'm from Watts, though. Thank you. Yeah, right. Listen. God be praised, man. Born, so born, away, born and raised in Watts. Uh, I mean, born and Watts, raised in South Central. I'll take it. You know, God be praised. Shout out to Charles Jenkins. He has a new song called God Be Praised. Okay. We'll take that, too. Charles <laughs> Jenkins. Uh, so, we're writing stuff, and all of it's kind of, kind of, you know, not cool. <laughs> and I had been up for two days in my little studio. You know, I'm I'm kind of funky at this time. I'm like, you know what? I need to go take a shower. Y'all write to this. And there was like a, I had like a drum beat and a bass line playing. Mm-hmm. I'll be right back. So the, the, the music is loud. Now through the walls, if you are listening to something in here, when you walk out, sometimes it the, the tones change. It mm-hmm. sounds different. Mm-hmm. So through the, the studio room, it wasn't a padded room, but it was just a little office where I had my stuff at. I go through another little room where I had a little pool table. This was in my parents' house mm-hmm. in the basement. And then to the bathroom, through those walls, I can still hear the music, but it sounds different. I'm in the shower, and I'm hearing, the bass wasn't playing this, but I'm hearing do 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 I'm like, oh. I start saying, take the shackles off my feet so I can dance. Take the shackles. I'm singing that. <laughs> right, right, right. And I said, oh, that's dope. Like, don't forget it. Don't forget it. I finished the shower. <laughs> I still got the towel on. I run in there. I'm like, stop. I stopped the music. I'm like, this is it. Take the shackles off my feet so I They were like, that's dope. I put the beat back on. I played the bass line mm-hmm. that I was hearing because it wasn't the same. I mm-hmm. play that. Then I go back, finish getting dressed. And when I come back, they already had the first verse. In the corners of my mind, I just sing. can't seem to find. And that, that was, I was like, this is it. And it was simple. I mean, that that's how the, the record started. I was like, can't give this to Prince of Egypt, though. No, sir. No, no, no. This is not. This is something. This is, y'all got to do this. Now, before that, we had a record called Dance, Dance, Dance that we did on the Dr. Doolittle soundtrack that Big John made me give up because it was supposed to be Eric and Tina's first single. Okay. I'm rapping on the song and everything. Ray J wrote me a rap. 
Really? For the record. Ray J was probably 14, but he could write at the time. Okay, okay. He wrote this rap dance. Everybody down with us, just dance. Wonderful the groove of the clap. Your hands. The ask who's blessed tonight. I am. God's been good to me. Never to be too late and continuously. He's great. He's on time. Even never had to sit. Hey. Went, it was like a little mace sounding like bad oh, yeah, boy. Yeah, yeah, you know. yeah, yeah. It sounded like a bad boy record. Okay, okay. So Big John was like, they want this record for Dr. Doolittle, but they want to use this girl named, they want uh, this lady named Robin S to sing it. She's a dance uh, star, mm -hmm. dance music star. But they'll let the girl stay on it. I was like, I guess that's the first thing. Though. He said, no, man, you wrote that song, write another one. You wrote it, you said, write another one, write a better one. <laughs> so we gave him the song, and we wrote Shackles right after that. If he didn't make us give that song away, we'd never write you Shackles. Never, you never do Shackles. So, and Shackles was like, nah, we can't get this to Prince of Egypt. So we wrote them another song called Let Go, Let God, and Let Go, and it's just Mary Mary and Ty Tribute. Okay, okay. I can't, re I don't even remember that one right now, but, I mean, that's how that song started. But I do, it's not lost on me what that song did. Yeah? No. Did you know what you had? I definitely knew. You knew By it. the response. Because okay. anybody I played it for looked at me like I was an alien. To this day, us, us three, me, Eric, and Tina, it's just like, this is a song we wrote. We don't. <laughs> <laughs> it's not this big. Oh, really? we wrote it. Oh, my God. No, it's just like, that was nice. It's cool. Bro, that's, it's that's, fun. That's going to be in the in the history books. I really believe it. Man, uh, my man hit me last night. Uh, uh, Green, uh, Travis Green hit mm -hmm. me last night. He was on the plane. Mm -hmm. Virgin Airlines. He was like, man, this plane. He hit me on my DMs with a little video of it. They're playing it on the plane. <laughs> In the speakers. <laughs> then DJ Camper, my man, hit me. He was like in a, in a, a London. They were playing it in the car in London. I was like, Shackles I mean, that album hard, just bro. went platinum again. Like, uh, four months ago. That's nuts, man. Yeah. That's nuts. So, so let let me take a quick step back because you mentioned, which I think you're so right about not just gospel music, but the church in general. Mm. You know, we're just, we're just slow. We're just late to the part in a lot of things, right? Yeah. Um, but there have been iterate, there have been evolutions, right? Yeah, so I've yeah, had yeah. this debate about who have, who have been some of the most significant kind of voices in the movement of gospel music. And so, of course, we know, you know, Thomas Dorsey is like the godfather. Yeah, he's a guy. Right? He, he, he you know, he gets, his, gets the party started. But there's a debate, and maybe, I'm not sure if it's a debate. I think it's a debate. When it comes to, and I'm talking about just the body of work, I'm not just talking about the, the, how well they did, how impactful their music was, but as far as the change, the shift in music. Mm. When you look at a guy like James Cleveland, you mentioned him earlier, mm. look at a guy like Kirk Franklin, who do you think had the most impact as far as moving music forward for it to take whatever its next steps were? Mm. Um, you know, in in like, let's say American culture, and why? Sound wise, okay. That would be Kirk, sound wise, okay. But in terms of eyeballs and people paying attention, hmm. it's James Cleveland, hands down, hands down. He put it on the map. He produced Aretha Franklin's Amazing Grace. Bro, I, wa I watched the documentary, dude, <laughs> and. Like the Rolling Stones is in the building, like everybody's, everybody's there. there. And everybody knows who he is. He's yeah. a, you see what he's doing in there. Yeah. 
He's, he's in tro- he he's control. The public, he's, yes. Aretha's doing whatever he says. Whatever he says. See what I'm saying? Yeah. He's yeah. arranging everything. And not only that, he he, he could play. He was yeah. nice. Yeah. So the sound, when he was doing, the sound of gospel music didn't yeah. change much other yeah. than he added certain elements that weren't there before. Like, you know, he brought in a bass player and a drummer. Got you. A lot of times when you listen to old gospel records, it's an organ and piano player mm-hmm. and nothing else. But he brought in another thing, you know, mm-hmm. and he did so much of it. His productivity, James Cleveland, at one time probably had more albums out than anybody, any genre. Like, because you had all these, case in point, James Cleveland for a week would go to, say, like, New Jersey, mm-hmm. teach classes for a whole week on choir, on songwriting, mm-hmm. and have songwriters come all from all over, bring songs, teach songs, and at the end of that week, they would do a recording. <laughs> At the end of a single week, they'd record an album. They record all the stuff they learned, and it would come out maybe a month after that. James Cleveland presents the New Jersey chapter of the Gospel Music yeah, Workshop yeah, of yeah. America. Right? Yeah. He did that probably a hundred times. Yeah. James Cleveland presents is everywhere. Everywhere. Right. And it's all like songs and you know uh, they came out on Savoy Records. Yeah. Came out on Malico Records. Yeah. Maybe one other album, one uh, one other record label, um, but. His volume of work, yeah. His body work is vast. It's crazy. Yeah. But then Kirk, he just he took chances. Yeah. Right. Um, I don't think maybe it was because he wasn't a singer. You're right. That he could focus on other elements and other sides of it. He was focused on, like you know, think about. The merging of a hip hop artist mm-hmm. with the with the gospel artist. Yeah, he brings in Salt from Salt and Pepper. Yep, yep. And and she raps and, yep. and does a great job. Yeah, on that. Um, that, was, that was God's property. Was that was that the album? God's property? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, he brings in with Kirk Kirk Franklin and the family. He does a record with R. Kelly at the time. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. He does a record with uh, uh, Mary J. Blige. On yeah. it, you know, just yeah. He was doing stuff, and yeah. then he goes on. Now, go commercially, the tour. Yeah. Like, James Cleveland wasn't able to do arenas, yeah. tours. Yeah. He did arenas, like, one-offs here and there, but, like, yeah. touring? Yeah. It wasn't like that. Yeah. That's what I'm saying? It wasn't, like, this guy was filling up stadiums. Yeah. And stuff like, well, uh, yeah, arenas. Uh, James Cleveland did theaters, but arenas? Yeah. And it was the Kirk Franklin tour. Like, yeah. you know, the I think they did something called the Tour of Hope or... Tour of Life, or some, Hopeville, or something like that. I think it was called that Hopeville. sounds familiar. Yeah. But he did all these different tours, man. Which was, it was huge. He would have bring out uh, Yon Adams or bring Donnie McClurkin, I think, maybe Fred, and it would be the Kirk Franklin thing, you know. Yeah. And commercially, he just set it off in a different way. Like, I mean, Think about this, how rappers would go on tour and, and uh, fly there and ship their, their, their Range Rovers on tour with them so they can drive around in their own car. Kirk Franklin was, Kirk was doing, doing that. that. Kirk had his Range Rover shift. shift. This, is, this is the 90s. I'm backstage going like, oh, it's Kirk's car. <laughs> this dude had all kinds of stuff on tour with him. Just, really? Yeah, man, he was he was doing it in a, a, just on a high level and all the songs he wrote. Right. He's a prolific writer. <laughs> Hands down. Prolific writer. One of the best. One of the best. So... I would say in terms of, you know, commercially and moving the sound differently. Yeah. Being more accepted. I'm going to give that 
partially to Kirk. Yeah. But I'm also throwing Uncle Andre Crouch. I was going to ask you about him. Because you cannot talk yeah. that conversation. Yeah. Andre Crouch is the first yeah. gospel artist to perform on Saturday Night Live. That's nuts. The first gospel artist to commercially, he was on the Jeffersons. Was he? The TV show. They, he was featured on the Jeffersons singing. I mean, this guy, Color Purple, the movie. Yeah. That's him writing, I mean, playing. And uh, My, uh, Michael Jackson's uh, Bad Album, Man in the Mirror, that's that's Andre Crouch Andre Crouch is on that? He's arranging all the background vocals. and doing Really? All, Andre Crouch. So I think about Andre Crouch similar to, maybe not the same degree, uh, the Staples. The Staples singers. Yeah. I feel like they commercially crossed over. But they weren't gospel, really. They weren't. Okay, you you the, you're the, educating me. Their dad, they Pop started wasn't gospel. They started doing gospel stuff. They they were like in Got the middle. They, they they were more they were political. Okay, yeah. You know what I'm saying? Uh, you know, respect yourself. That's the kind yeah. of song they were saying. Yeah, okay, okay. A couple of gospel tunes here, but they they sung, I know what place I'll take you there. Yeah. They never said it was heaven or they weren't <laughs> talking about church. They just <laughs> they kept it real. Got you. Kevin Real, BB, and Cece. I think it's... <laughs> <laughs> what's funny, though... Shout out Uncle BB. I was to say, what's funny, though, is that, you know, you, you all, Mary Mary, BB, and Cece, kind of yeah. got the same critique about yeah. not putting Jesus' name in your music as gospel artists. I was very intentional on not using technical theological terms in yeah. the songs. Yeah. Uh, song, and what was the impetus behind, like, what, what were you thinking? The, the reason was Big John. Again, mm. I'm writing this song called The Anointing. Mm-hmm. He was like, he came in listening. He was like, yo, that's dope. What's what's that? I said, what's what? The anointing. Mm. What's that? It's like goosebumps or something. <laughs> I was like, nah, that's a shoot. Mm-hmm. We shouldn't say anything mm. that people won't understand. Yep. And shout out to my sister Kim Burrell. She she helped me really solidify that. She had a song. Um, uh, talking about, you know, the piece in Joel about, you know, uh, the canker worm, the palm worm, mm-hmm, blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. Uh, and she said, I'm, God's going to give you back everything that the locust stole on the record. And I remember hearing it going, I, I know what that means, mm-hmm. but I'm like, somebody who doesn't know God, doesn't know Christ, doesn't understand, they will have no idea what that No context for that, yeah. So I made a decision, say, like, if, it, if it was too heavy in that way, yeah. I was like, no, just write stories like yeah. country and western people do. Yeah. And a lot of times you just couldn't fit the word Jesus in. It just yeah. made so we'll do Jesus on the ad lib. We're gonna say yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. But in the context of the lyrics, it just it doesn't fit here. Yeah. But you're gonna know it's a gospel song at the right. end of at the end of it. So yeah. that was that's how that, you know, worked out. I just wanted people to be I wanted the music to be accessible yeah. to anybody that heard it. They go you're gonna know it's gospel, but I want you to understand what we're talking about, what we're trying to say without all of the things we do in, you know, in liturgies. You yeah. know, they don't yeah. They don't get that. It doesn't connect. No. It doesn't connect. That makes a lot of sense. So when you think about, you know, so my, my I got I got kids mm-hmm. my, and I don't honest guy, I don't know what my kids listen to. I, I'm a terrible dad. Just <laughs> start. I have no idea. We'll be in the car. You know what's so funny? I was doing this the other day. I was like, we live in a we live in a context now of um personalized everything. Everything, yeah. So I'm I'm driving the car. When I was a kid, 
in the car. I drove with my parents in the car. I'm in the back seat. I know every song because I listen to what they listen to. What they listen to, yeah. So Coast 103.5, all that. I know all the songs. I'll be mm-hmm. in the in the mall, I'm singing James Taylor. I'm singing, you know, because yeah. that's what I listen to. I get in the car with my kids. They all have headphones in. Yeah. And all of them listen to their own their own thing, right? But I think about hip-hop because, of course, it's big with, with that generation. And I don't, I don't understand a lot of it mm. right now. Like, I don't understand... First of all, somebody explained to me what mumble music was. I didn't, <laughs> I didn't, I couldn't understand what was being said. I don't understand the concept, but it seems as though it's connecting with the generation on some level. Then, then I hear a lot of the, you know, the ire from older hip hop artists talking about this next generation. Mm-hmm. There's so much consternation on some level. Now I'm making an assumption. When it comes to the evolution of anything, is it possible that some iterations just aren't good ones? And when they're, and, and if that is true, relative to the evolution of a thing, particularly in music, what becomes the recourse from people who are in the industry to say, like, however this thing can, and I'm not trying to dismumble music, I'm just, I'm just saying I don't like it, but, mm-hmm. and I'm, I'm nobody, but whatever the genre is and whatever the iteration is, you know, in creativity, it's like, Oh, it's relative, but is it? Like, is is creativity absolutely relative, or are there some things that are like, that's an aberration that seems to be maybe counterproductive, and we need to save the music. Is that making sense? Yeah, but here's the thing. Some things you kill, some things you got to just let die, hmm. right? So you, you can't, one, here's the first thing. As African-Americans, the opportunity to make money and pull ourselves out of these ghettos, yeah. right? Yeah. Is a one in a million chance. Sure. So you you see a guy who who is doing some subpar music. Sure. My first inclination is to criticize it and blah, 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 but then yeah. I gotta go, does this guy have a shot other than this to get out of that? Makes sense. So I go, okay. It may not be the mess. M- m- mumble rap killed itself. Hmm. It's not even relevant right now. Hmm. Because, you know, it really started because this generation, my generation of hip-hop g- people, heads, yeah. we made music yeah. for drug dealers. <laughs> that's, what, that's, that's the culture of, like, okay. balling, drug dealing. Yep, and yep, yep. This generation makes music for drug users. Whoa. See what I'm saying? It's all, everything's... Whoa. Emo, mumble. Wow. Lean, slow down, you know. Yeah. It's a different. Yeah. We was like, pour the champagne. Yeah. You know, rollies on my wrist. Right. Ballers. It was party. It was, yeah. Yeah. Money, money, money. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're like, you know, yeah, I'm in the backseat of the car. I can't feel my face. (laughs) You know what I'm saying? It's different. Yes, dude. So... I think when I said some things you just got to let die with that, I think at this point it's starting to die because now, you know, especially after the pandemic, people, people are just happy to be alive. Yeah. And they're feeling like vibrant now. It's like, it's kind of like it's changing. Yeah. I don't want to be sad. Yeah. I don't want to be depressed. I want to, you know, and you having all these conversations, you know, on all kinds of different platforms, podcasts, all kinds of different things about depression. Yep. And trauma, and, yep. and we're talking about it, and we don't want to hear it. Yeah. 
You know what I'm saying? Like, you know, we just some, some things we just don't want to hear anymore. Yeah. So I think instead of just, you know, a lot of my my contemporaries, they just bash the stuff. I'm like, man, let them kids do what they did do because guess what? They was bashing us. Yeah. Hard. Yeah. Like, what are y'all talking about? All that yeah. fast. What are y'all yeah. talking about? Skip it and bip it. How about skip it and bip you know? <laughs> skip it and bip it. <laughs> <laughs> my, my wife's grandmother said, y'all music ain't music. Y'all just say, you got long tail. You got long tail. You got long tail. <laughs> Oh, that's good. I'm going to write that down. We, we're collecting words on this podcast. The new one is skippity bippity. That's going to be a brand new word we put into the rotation here Yo, on Misfit Manifesto. Speaking of that, you know how Kanye said, uh, uh, scoop diddy, scoop diddy. Yep, he was yep, doing it. Yep. I didn't know where that came from. Last time I saw him, he was saying, I'm just going to keep saying it until people start getting tattoos on it. I know it doesn't mean anything, but I'm just going to keep saying it. Dude, I, I felt that. I felt like when he did it, he was almost like, Making a point about the culture. Yeah. You know what no, I mean? The, 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 he does things like that. Like yeah. this last little thing he's been in. Yeah. Somebody sent me something two days ago, a, a video of him talking. Mm-hmm. He says, that was the last time you ever see a billion-dollar deal and a, and a guy be let go over a tweet. And he said, gotcha. <laughs> right. Then I get a text from him. A couple days ago, it says they tried to cancel me, but I'm free. Wow. I said, oh my God, this dude is a genius. He was locked in all these deals. Yeah. I'll just start saying wild stuff. They're going to let me go out of everything. They're going to, ah, we're going to cancel this deal. He's like, he said, gotcha. Then he said, I like to thank everybody involved in these negotiations. <laughs> <laughs> I'm free now. He's back making music, doing what he's doing. I'm so, like, so speaking crazy. of that, dude, you you did music with Kanye. And I, want, and I really want to talk about Kanye. Musically, right? But on the other side, you were at least one of the people that in the early days was an influential part of him not navigating his new faith. I feel like, was was he checking in with you or were you kind of... In a sense, like, so I I remember getting the call. He was getting ready to do Coachella. Okay. And so I, I wouldn't call that checking in, but he he wanted he wanted me to hear what he was doing. So I, we, me and my wife drove down there, and uh, we we spent some time with him down there. And then he gave me the list of songs mm-hmm. that he was doing, asked me to give him scripture references for each song. So it would be stuff like that. Hmm. On Donda, this last album, it was um, how do I make this gospel? So he'll, he'll rap a regular verse with mm-hmm. cursing in it and everything, mm-hmm. like. How can we make this gospel? And I would give him so like say they were he was talking about um, it was a song about prostitution. He mm-hmm. was like you know the I forgot the context of what he was saying, and uh, and I told him that there was a, a prostitute named Rahab, mm. and uh, so he says I, I uh, we came up with this line about I don't even we didn't use it about Lord forgive me for uh, all the Rahabs. Uh, with the Arabs in Dubai, where they do buy, mm. you know. So I come up with a line like that. He'd be like, "Yeah, I like that line," you know. Or like, say, like, um, he's going to uh, guess who's going to jail tonight? Mm-hmm. I'm going to jail. I don't make that gospel. I'm going to jail. I said, "You got to say, God's going to post my bail tonight." Ah, oh, that's it. I and that's it. how I end up on the jail song. Got so, it. Got it. Got you know, it. just that. That's like the influence. Yeah. It's not like he's calling me to check in and say, "Well." I do remember at one point, 
and me and you could talk about this. I don't know if everybody will know this, but you know, he was heavily being heavily recruited by the cessationist. Mm. Uh, and he was at my church early. I, I, my church starts at 11, 9 a.m. He was in my office. I walked in my office. He was laying on the floor, like sleep. He got up. He's like, what do you think about these cats and our demons and stuff like that? I was like, and spitting the works of the Holy Ghost. And then I, you know, so we You apostolic, man. So you know all about that. Oh, yeah, yeah. So <laughs> we have a conversation about stuff like right, that. You right, know what right, I mean? right, 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 right. Uh, but, yeah, it's like, so little stuff like that, but yeah. I wouldn't, because Rolling Stone did a, an interview with me, and, and the headline was, he's Kanye's, you know, spiritual advisor. I was like, oh, my God. So I just come like, <laughs> I ain't tell him to say that. I don't know what he don't, but he doesn't right. care anyway. So. Yeah, 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 yeah. So I wouldn't call myself that, but, like, you know, there are times where like, we have conversations yeah. about, you know, you know, little things like that. But I'm glad to be able to share whatever I know. Yeah, yeah. Uh, he's very receptive. He's very serious about his faith. Seems like it. Oh man, yeah, it's not, like it's not a game with him. Yeah, it's not a game with him at all. So musically, I feel like um, he he represents a lot of in, in a lot of ways, but musically, he's really after what's next. Always, you know, constant. Do not come in the room and give him what he did before. Right, you get kicked out. Yeah, yeah. And so when it comes to when you when you think about guys like Kanye, and I'm sure there are others. Who do you who who who's in that camp like of really trying to create the next sound? Like you're talking about creating music for the metaverse. Like I, I I'm still I don't know what you said when you said that. Like literally I don't get it. Like you like man I split sped it up and slowed it down. Nigga I turned it around, put it in the box, man. Made it underwater, put it on top, man. I turned it around, flipped it, man. It's like a jelly bean. I'm like what? What are you talking about, dude? And I'll play it for you later. Please let me hear okay, it. But later. but like you creating music for the metaverse, like. Kanye for me is someone who's like looking at what's next. He's innovating, purposefully disrupting, purposefully saying, let's trash what even is good, you know, for the purpose of yeah. going forward. Who else is thinking like that? And then <laughs> tell me, like, what is that like? And what is that going to look like for you? Yeah. What's next? Like, what's next in music? Who's doing it and what is it? I think what's next is going to come from, it's not going to come from me. Hmm. I may be able to recognize it in the person it comes from, but it's gonna come from you know like <clears throat> like my son. Nice. Is he is he in the music? Oh yeah, he's into oh, it. Dope. Uh, you know, I, I had to go get my wife the other day. I said, you gotta watch this. You walk down the hall. He's at the headphones on in front of the computer, just making beats. You know. I love I said, it's it. It's gonna come from those type those yeah. guys. Um, they they think differently. Like, I thought differently than my father thought mm -hmm. in, in terms of music. Mm -hmm. And I don't, I don't think there is, because of curiosity, as long as you have it, you can, um, you can create, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. But in terms of, like, just because there's so much um, historical baggage that you yeah, carry yeah. creatively, yeah. certain things you just can't get to creatively because mm -hmm. you've got all this other stuff that you, that mm -hmm. you already know and mm -hmm. I can't play it that way because your mind won't let you. Yeah. Younger people, they don't have any of that. They just Yeah. They just break the rules. Yeah. I know the rules. Yep. It's hard to break them. I know them. Mm -hmm. They have no clue what that is. Yeah. So creatively, they're just doing stuff. Like Michael Jackson was when you hear don't don't stop to get enough. They mm -hmm. were beating on bottles. They were just doing stuff. Where a, a percussion player was like, oh, that's not I got a proper let me get <laughs> right. a proper instrument. Right, right. And you know, part of me is still that guy. Yeah. You know, I try. I try not to grow up so much. You mm -hmm. know, I try to be a guy who's just you know, 
like a Toys R Us kid. Yeah. You know, I don't want to grow up. I'm, I'm always going to be uh, playing. I'm always going to be trying new things. But I think the younger generation is, is just going to, and I don't know, I don't know what it's going to sound like. Mm-hmm. I don't know uh, if it's going to be a new genre of music. Mm-hmm. You, know, like, you know, when hip hop came, it was like, you know, it was it was crazy. But at this point, it's like we've had enough almost. Mm. Like Ye said to me one time uh, the other day, he was like, yo, they ought to start spelling hip hop with, with four letters. W-R-A-P. Because <laughs> it's a rap. <laughs> but who knows? It may be... Uh, you know, a, a, a combination between the singing and the rapping. It may be, who, who knows? It may be preaching may be the next rapping. Yeah, you know, yeah, who yeah, knows? You, you yeah. just don't know what it's going to be, but you have to recognize when something's good. Yeah. A guy like a Quincy Jones or a Rick Rubin or a, man, Uncle Rush. Yeah. Russell yep. Simmons goes, yep. he's, at the time, he's, you know, early, he's older. He's like, oh, I know that this is the poets, deaf poetry jam, yeah, deaf comedy jam, yeah. Oh, it's the new thing, yeah. You just got to be able to recognize it. That's how you become a person that's always a part or, or in the center of things, because you're not cut off creatively. Like you just got to let the young people go, yeah. Let them do what they're gonna do and support them. Give yeah. them money, yeah. Fund them, like like be a part of it, yep. And uh, because who knows? We don't, you know. If I knew that. I might not be sitting here. I'm about to say. <laughs> I, or I'll be somewhere on the plane with you doing yeah, this. You know yeah, what I mean? we'd be on my plane exactly. talking about, like, you know, <laughs> on my one of my planes. One of them, one of your many. Yeah. I, I just feel like when you when you you name some some heavy hitters, Russ, you name Quincy Jones. You know, I'm always curious, when did we know Quincy Jones was Quincy Jones? You know what I mean? At what point oh, man. did we say, oh, no, that's the dude that's gonna revolutionize this thing? I knew it. Okay, I'm a Quincy. I'm a Quincy guy. So when when did we know? When did you know Quincy he, is Quincy? In 1978. Okay. In '78, The Wiz came out. That's major. You weren't born. I wasn't. I was two, <laughs> or something, a three. Right. When I saw The Wiz, it came on TV, mm-hmm. and they were doing this thing where they kept changing the colors. Mm-hmm. You don't want to be seen. Mm-hmm. Green. Mm-hmm. Now, the color's red, mm-hmm. and the whole single changed, mm-hmm. and the clothes are changed, and it was gold, and they mm-hmm. got to the gold part, and it, this disco song comes on. Mm-hmm. Go, go, mm-hmm. do, 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 do. Mm-hmm. And it was this gigantic piano, and this dude with an afro, with glitter in the afro, mm-hmm. turned around and smiles like, it was Quincy Jones. I was like, ooh. Oh, he that's him? That's Quincy Jones. Maybe Does go. everybody know that? They may not. It's Quincy, Quincy did That's the Quincy soundtrack. That's Quincy Jones playing on it? He on, scored in, in the that, movie. Yeah. I mean, I knew, he, I knew he did the film, you know what I mean? Yeah. But I didn't know that was him actually playing that piano. That's him. That's a big scene, too. A huge scene. Big he's, dance. He's they're like, big dance they're, numbers. Man, I'm like, yeah, him. That's the dude. I want to be that guy. I don't even know who he is. And you like. Later, I'm, I find out this Quincy Jones, and I start seeing his, like, his credits. Yeah. It wasn't just his name. Yeah. He had a logo. He would make people, it was like a big logo, Quincy Jones Productions. On all the albums he worked yeah, on was a yeah, logo. Yeah. And I'm like, man, Quincy Jones, Quincy Jones. But that album had so much on it, man. It's first of all, he's producing Michael Jackson on that. Right. This is the precursor yeah. to him working with Michael to do Off the Wall yeah. and Thriller. Diana Ross. <sighs> yep. Uh the Brothers Johnson. Louis yep. Johnson's playing bass on that. Mm-hmm. Uh, a guy that just passed away named Toots Stadelman, who's the harmonica player and guitar player. Okay. But if you listen to that, the, the soundtrack, you hear all this harmonica playing, yeah. that's Toots, yep. which is Stevie Wonder's favorite harmonica player. 
all these things are going on. Quincy's mm -hmm. orchestrating the whole thing. It's the most beautiful orchestration you ever want to hear. And I'm like, man, at that point, I'm like, he, that dude is the man. Yeah. He's, he's it. He's it. And still to this day, when you listen to Quincy Jones Productions, it's like there's nothing better than that. Yeah, yeah. So then is a Kendrick Lamar one of those standout dudes that's special? Like who who are yeah. the special? I think Kanye is special. Yes. You know what I mean? Special. Kendrick, I think he's special. Their AI being Allen Iverson. Okay. With rings. Okay. <laughs> okay. Okay. You see what I'm saying? Like, yeah. AI was yeah. special. Yeah. yeah. But he was also, you know, he wasn't able to convert yeah. and get that ring. Yeah. Like, these guys are special, but they also, yeah. they get, commercially, yep. they yeah. get it. So, like, I remember first meeting Kendrick. Somebody brought him to my studio. A friend of mine uh, that I grew up, his little brother is, 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 is Kendrick's partner. Okay. A day, shout a day free. And he come to the studio. He had just did the, I think he did like a battle, like the, like a, not a battle, uh, the BET Cypher. Okay. The Hip Hop Awards, something like that. Maybe that's what it was. They brought him over to my studio. We, we, we worked on a couple of records. And I'm like, this kid is crazy. He's, psh. I'm listening to him. I still have those records right now. They, we, we never even finished them. Really? It's just stuff we started, but you know, there's somewhere on hard drives. Man, nuts. Nuts. I just I knew it. Like, yeah. he, like he's You knew he was gonna pop. Yeah. Immediately. Yeah. Immediately. Yeah. I I think for for me, man, I'm always curious about being able to kind of, you know, for lack of a better term, read the tea leaves to see, you know, where is the energy for innovation? Where mm. are the people who are, you know, it seemed like like Big John was always like after what was next. Don't rest in your laurels. Don't yeah. get saddled with success, but continue to create. And there's this theory when it comes to uh, to leadership. In fact, it's a book called Leadership on the Line, and it talks about being purposefully disruptive. Like sometimes we don't disrupt until something has gone wrong, mm. but it takes a different level of leadership to for things to be going well. And you say, all right, let's uh, let's trash it and let's. Start next. doing something next. You know, next. What's, what's next? And I'm always curious, like, when it comes to music, especially for, like, black music, you know mm -hmm. what I mean? Because I feel like we have just been pioneering in so many ways. Rock and roll, rhythm and blues, Everything. you name it. Everything. You know, we're pioneers in that. I mean, go all the way back to classical music with, you know, Chopin and yeah. just, you know what I'm saying? But with that, I'm always curious, how do we get a sense? And maybe it's just that we just appreciate it. Maybe we just sit back and when it emerges... We just appreciate it, but I'm always curious about how do we engineer the innovation? Yeah. How do we create the spaces for people? This is a question for you. Where is a space developed to be able to 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 create, you know mm -hmm. what I'm saying, a place for that next cadre of people who can not be saddled with the rules, but can dream a new dream? Like, how do we not just wait for that to happen serendipitously, but mm -hmm. we start to facilitate that kind of environment to produce that type of thinking. I don't know, because I don't think it has ever been cognitively facilitated. Got it. See what I'm saying? Yeah. I don't think, I think those things happen. Got you. Quincy Jones says, leave ego outside the room. Mm-hmm. And just go in there and create and leave room for God to come mm. into the room. Because that's what it ended up. If you think about it, the biggest, most 
innovative thing that I've ever, I didn't see it, but I read it. And in my mind, I saw it. Mm -hmm. It was in Genesis. Mm. Think about that as a show. Mm -hmm. A guy says, let there be light. And mm -hmm. bam, yeah. the sun. Yeah. You know yeah. how bright the sun is? Yeah, yeah. The sun comes up, and it's so powerful, it just keeps, he said it once, yep. and it just keeps coming up. Yep. Every, it just keeps happening. Yep. Yep. Stars, boom, 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 planets. Th yeah. things, it looks like, in my mind, it looks like this big, it looks like Captain EO. Yeah. At, at this, you know what I'm yeah. saying? Like, yeah. in my mind, yeah. that's what it is. Yeah. And I think, you know, if we just leave room for, for God to come into the room, like, he, he's, the, he's the creator. Yep. And, yeah. and as long as we're creative, we're being like him. So yeah. I'm like, you know, I don't know, man. I think you just got to be aware when you're in the environment. When you're in it. When the like, oh, happening. man, this is, I've, I've, I've been in that so many times where I'm like in something, I'm like, uh-oh. <laughs> we here. Here. Oh. here. We're here now. <laughs> just don't, 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 nobody yep. move. Yep. Yeah. Don't, don't say yeah. that. Don't move. Just keep, you know. Yeah. And that's, that's how, that's how songs happen. That's how movie ideas happen. Like, I just, oh, case in point. And I could, I could tell you this here. So, <laughs> everybody's had a crazy dream. Right. Like a dream, like, I don't normally remember my dreams, but mm -hmm. like the crazy ones, I'm talking about them dreams where you like, you're running, and then all of a sudden you're sitting on top of a roof, then mm -hmm. all of a sudden yeah, you're, you're talking to the president of the United States about you're having Cheerios, mm -hmm, mm -hmm, you know, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. right? So, my wife woke up one day and told me this crazy dream she had. It was hilarious. I said, and this is, and I, and I don't know, we just waking up, I said, uh oh, we got something. Hmm. We need to, let's write that down. Wrote it down. We need to shoot it. Hmm. Let's create it. What you mm -hmm, just told me, mm -hmm. it'll be hilarious. The dream, like, we're going to create a series called Dreams. People are going to tell us their dreams, and we're going to create them. We're going to shoot it. Shut up. That's what I'm in it, now. Is is that an exclusive? Did anybody know that yet? That's an exclusive. Uh, it's coming. Uh, Ladies and gentlemen, we just got an exclusive here on yeah. Misfit Manifesto yeah. podcast. Uh, I don't know who you are, but you're welcome because you just got this exclusively. Her album comes out April 28th. It's called In My Dream. Let's do it. So that, that part of that stuff, you'll see some of that. That is yeah. dope. So that's that's huge. But please keep us posted. You're in the moment. You just like you, you. You know you're in the moment. Oh, we're doing something. Yep. We're doing something. Something's happening. You just gotta know how to catch it. So this is what I'm thinking, man. So I'm thinking about Harlem. I'm thinking about the Bronx. I'm thinking about the Troubadour. Like these are places where Compton, Compton right? Com where crazy stuff emerge, and and I'm I maybe not maybe not intuitively, but like at at a certain point they knew, oh Harlem, something is happening something's in Harlem. Happening in something Harlem. is happening in Compton. Something something's is happening, happening in Seattle. See, right, the Seattle. I mean, right, Atlanta. Exactly. Like. And I'm always curious about, like, you, and I don't know, maybe this is uh, hubris, but you want to, I want to get there. I want to get oh, yeah. there and I want to help to facilitate. Yeah. I want to help to push, like you said, fund it. Fund it. When you see something's happening, fund this new imagination yeah. so that we can have, it can proliferate, especially when it comes to, like, marginalized spaces because yeah. they're so underfunded. It would be dope to know, like, hey, we're in a moment and to find a way to, like, maximize it. I think the best way to get there is to always keep your mind open and your eye open from when you're in it. Because a lot of us are in it and don't know it. And don't know you in it. 
you're 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 in the space where yep. it's happening, and you can just walk out and never just. You have to be. A, it's it's it's. It's deep. It's the gift of awareness. This is deep, bro. This is deep. You know what I'm saying? Yes. Being being aware, like, oh man, I'm yep. in a yes. Ooh, okay. We're here. Mm-hmm. All right, don't don't move. Don't listen. Do y'all feel that? Do y'all mm-hmm. hear? You know, mm-hmm. it's that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And the like-mindedness of the people that you're with. Because if you're the only one, it doesn't work. Yeah. It has to be a, a, a concerted effort. It has to be a group effort. You can't do it by yourself. Think about all the movements that happened. It was never one person. Nope. It was just a group of people thinking alike. Yep. Yeah. Oh, we're just into this now. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? And this yeah. is what we're doing. Like, And it could be something that nobody else is doing, but they're just into it. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. You know, and that's just... Gangster rap came out of... That was innovative. Yeah. I mean, it was destructive. Sure. And disruptive, but yep. it was innovative. Yeah. You know, yeah. but you were in it. Like, I remember being, you know, in 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 uh in the car listening to um the boys in the hood are always hard. Mm-hmm. Don't talk the trash. Mm-hmm. We'll pull your car. Mm-hmm. No nothing in life but to be legit. Don't quote me, boy, because I ain't said... I'm in the car with my uncle. I'm like, man, I remember him... Listen to the record. I'm hearing things that I see. Yes. On my block, I'm like, dude. Wow. Authenticity. I think that that's. I mean, so let me just kind of reflect back to you what I'm hearing you say. Number one, you talk about this idea of mindfulness, of being able to appreciate when yeah. you're in a space. I think culture can work against that because it's so fast paced, it's so loud, so distractive. Mm-hmm. You have a, sometimes have a hard time being able to like appreciate where you are. Yeah. So I'm I'm reflecting that. Number two, I'm reflecting community. Mm-hmm. Like you got to be in a collaborative space with people. Yeah who are able to be in that space comprehensively and you're able to kind of interface with uh, those of, of like minds. Yeah. But then this idea, what they were saying, you were looking out the window of the car and you were seeing it in real time. It was authentic. authentic. It resonated. And so I think there's there's power in getting people to a place of their own authenticity. That's mm-hmm. where true creativity, yeah. I think, can yeah. live and flourish. And, That's where it is. And authenticity. That's huge. Yeah. When you're trying to be somebody else, I, I told I have an artist who was a fan of a, other few artists. These artists that she was a fan of were avant-garde. They were very, mm-hmm. you know, eccentric. Yeah. She wasn't. But she's such a fan. She kept trying to be, mm-hmm. you know, a weirdo. Mm-hmm. I'm like, you're not a weirdo. Mm-hmm. And the moment you get on stage trying to be that, the crowd is going to stiffen out and they're, gonna, they're not going to roll with you. Because they're, they're going to know it's not real. Because hmm. you, you're conjuring. Yeah. You're not being you. Yeah. The moment you are yourself and just be free to be you, Yeah. whatever that is, you're going to be all right. But until then, I can't even, I can't help you. I think that's one of the hallmarks really of, like, your success is Warren Campbell is Warren Campbell literally every single place you are. Everywhere It I doesn't go. matter where. You in a pulpit. <laughs> you got, so you're going to remember this. Maybe you will. We're at Midsummer Night's Magic. This is 20 years ago. And it's you, Ooh. Nissan, a few other people, and we're on the back lot somewhere. I, I walk up to see me and Dre together, uh, Irv's son. Me and, we walk up to say hello, and somehow the conversation about pastoring comes up. It's long before you start pastoring. Uh-huh. And these words you said to me, you said, if I could throw a party, I could plant a church. <laughs> <laughs> Your exact words. Because at that time... 
we were throwing Doing parties. The biggest we were throwing these parties. I yeah. know. Was, oh yeah, yeah, but yeah. But yeah. I think while that's funny, I think it also speaks to yeah. <laughs> like some of the same fundaments are involved. Like if, a lot of if, them, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, in your capacity to like be authentic. Yeah. People are not seeing. I remember that you know, now. No, you don't remember that. I you, do. You remember that? Because that's you, the only you, one I went. It was on the back. It was, was a Paramount backlot yep, or something yep, like that. Mm-hmm. I remember that. You said I could throw a party. I can plan a church. <laughs> And I had no idea he was going to really, you know, really do it. Me, I didn't have no idea. Because I was either. in, you know, us being in church, I was looking at you all like, if I was him, I would never come back to church. <laughs> Y'all were living the dream, dude. You're on tour. You know what I'm saying? You're yeah. living your best life. And then you're like, oh, you're going to pastor too. Oh, good luck with that because this, you All know. I know. But, yeah, but you killed the game. All right, I have a final question. All right, so so the podcast is called Misfits Manifesto. And, and I told you, man, the essence of it is just really thinking deeply about What's next? You know what I mean? Mm. And I, I'm I'm just a huge fan of creatives, mm. huge fan of innovators. And so Sergey Brin, and this is my question, my final question for everybody I, I, I talk to. Mm. Sergey Sergey Brin has this quote. He says, if what you're doing is not seen by some as science fiction, it's not transformational enough. Mm. So when you think about kind of whatever it is, like you just talked about you know, this idea for the dream show, whatever it might be. When you think about, like, what's next for Warren Campbell, what are the things that probably sound silly until they happen? Like, what's that science fiction dream vision idea that you have for yourself, for your ministry, for your music, whatever it might be, mm-hmm. that is, like, a little crazy until you until you do it? Well, I, I love that quote um, because, you know, when I talked to you earlier and I told you that some people, like, you know, looked at me like an alien for certain things yeah. I did. Yeah. That's where I feel most comfortable. Mm. When I know you are uncomfortable yeah. with what I just showed you, <laughs> I'm like, yeah. I'm in a sweet spot. <laughs> Even internally, working with Mary Mary, mm-hmm. it's funny. When I, when, my sister, when I make my sister Tina mm-hmm. uncomfortable about the idea, I know I got something. <laughs> she, when she goes like, oh, man, what? Tina save save. Yeah, she's like, what, what are we doing? <laughs> like, not, it ain't even that. It's, she may not even understand it. She's Got like, you. Huh? Even the name Mary Mary. She was like, I just said it out the blue. Really? I'm 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 a very uh I I I'm a, I, I think in the clouds a lot. Mm-hmm. I, I'm a I'm a dreamer, man. I mm-hmm. dream a lot. So a lot of things I just have that just mm-hmm. but my thing is if I thought about it. Mm-hmm. If it popped in my head, mm-hmm. it can happen. It's yeah. re- it can yeah. literally. Yeah. Yeah. If it's in here, mm-hmm. then that it can be done. No, I don't even care what it is. It can be done, right? Because yeah. if it's in my mind, that means I somewhere I saw it. Yeah. You can't. Yeah. Think anything you yep. never saw. Yep. Do you, do you get yeah, that? Yeah, I get it. Even I if what it. you saw was fictional. Exactly. Yep. It's in yep. there. It's right? in there. Yeah. And so. Man, I forgot what you asked me now. So just what what is your what is call your shot. Next five years, ten years, what's that science fiction thing you're thinking, dreaming about that if people heard it, they'd be like, man, that's nuts. But once you accomplish it, mm-hmm. you know what I'm saying? They're gonna be like, dang, that dude was on to something. You know, for me, right now I'm I'm working on this thing with my my label. Okay. Right. My block, right. My block Inc. Yep. Um to take because I did the hip-hop stuff, I did the gospel stuff, you know, uh, did the R&B stuff, but to take the gospel and elevate it to this thing that, you know, that 
people, see, the thing is, people understand how innovative gospel is, mm -hmm. and it's kind of the basis for yeah. everything, right? Yep, yep. And it gets passed over commercially. Yeah. And by me having all this commercial success, I'm thinking, how can I take that mm -hmm. in my label and do something really big? And I watched years ago as Death Row, mm -hmm. uh, Bad Boy, but uh, before that, the the base of that was Motown. Yeah, yeah. Watched them have all these amazing artists, but they all moved together. Yeah. So they had the individual albums and stuff, but mm -hmm. when they went on tour, they did those reviews. The Motown they had all, reviews. Yeah, all those group groups. Yeah. And it's very difficult to do now. Like we're doing one Easter. We start Easter. You would think I would be in my pulpit. I'm not gonna be there. I won't no. be at my church. My block does Easter at the Kennedy Center. Shut up. The whole roster's coming. The whole, all the gospel artists coming. Well, it's I'm Mary not Mary. doing this at my church. I'm coming to the Kennedy Center. Shoot. <laughs> Come on, man. man. Listen, we, we packing out the Kennedy Center. Uh, it's, it's Mary Mary, the Walls Group, Lena Burt Miles, special guest coming. We got uh, J.J. Harrison coming. Dope. Uh, the, the band, Red Hands. Do you know I had them? I told you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Ooh, they lit us up, dude. Hands down, I don't I don't know who's messing with Red Hands right now. Nobody. I don't know who, dude. They did a song together with Erica on her new album coming. Did they? Psh, I can't nuts, wait. Nuts. But my thing is to move all those people together. Yep. To where you see, like, it's a family. So yes. they, they'll do movies together, tours together, TV shows together. You it's Quincy like, Jones in it. Yeah. I, I, I see you. I'm sorry, I moved my chair. Sorry. No, no, it's all good. I see, I see where you're headed. Yeah, I mean, and, and when I talk about it to people, I am looked at like. I love it. Huh? Well, how you going to do that? How you going to? We'll see. <laughs> That's going to be the end of your documentary. That line right there. We'll see. That's fire, bro. Wayne, uh, man, I love you, Warren. I appreciate you, bro. This man, has been thank extremely you for dope, man. This is dope. It was very cold, but it's dope. Yeah, dude, I, I'm going to be honest. You I'm cold freezing now. right now. <laughs> I'm freezing. I'm so cold. But, you know, at least I'm not up here sweating while we talk, man. And you got on the deadlift. For those, those of you watching in the car at home, wherever it might be, Warren's wearing a uh, $65,000 uh, fully chinchilla uh, <laughs> Eskimo, Eskimo jacket. And but he I'm looks warm. amazing. But he's warm. He's nice yeah. and cozy. Some parts of me are warm. That's right. Your hands are freezing, ain't they? Freezing. You can't play piano right now. No. It's all good. If you're, if you're listening, if you're watching, please like, share, subscribe, do please. all those things. Uh, Warren Campbell, Misfit Manifesto. You look out for what's happening next because he's about to kill the game. He's going to move some big crews around the country. We're going to see it go real big. Real big, baby. Appreciate you, bro. Thank you, man. Yes, sir. Thank you so much for listening to the Misfit Manifesto. I trust this has been as you know impactful for you as it has been for me. Now, what makes these type of moments in this community special is when you're a part of it. So I want to encourage you to go to MisfitManifesto.com. Join the conversation and join the community. I believe something is on the horizon, but I don't want to do it alone. I want to do it with you. So come be a part and let's see some amazing things happen. <laughs>